Greetings and salutations. It is another episode of the Wind Up Podcast. We got an August question and answer episode to get into today. I am your host, as usual, Mike of MTGA Wines, and the end of the month always signals that we're going to dive into some of the hard-hitting questions that you all have about the wine industry, just in general. i The themes tend to bounce around, but it's always kind of tied to the earlier episodes in the month or from the prior month, and we just kind of keep rolling through them as they come in. For those of you that have questions that you want to submit, you can do that a couple of different ways. One, hit us up on any of our social media outlets. Uh, You can go to what was formerly known as Twitter. You can hit up Instagram. Uh, Don't bother with Facebook because we don't check that at all. Sorry. Facebook warriors, not for us. Uh, Any of the YouTube comments, all of these podcasts and the videos of them are posted on YouTube. You can submit questions and comments there. Or if you're feeling extra feisty, you can head to our website, mtgawines.com. On the homepage there, just scroll down a little ways. There's a little form to fill out where you can submit questions that way. Um, I always try and cherry pick a few great ones. We try and tackle you know, always, you know, four or five questions or so, as many as we can get through, depending on kind of how short and sweet they are or how long and involved they might be. With Harvest right around the corner and having really gotten into the hospitality portion of the wine industry, that's really what these questions are going to center around today. So we're going to start off on the hospitality side of things and then dive back into some winemaking stuff as we go along. So without further ado. I'm going to have one more sip of coffee. It's the middle of the afternoon, but I am dragging ass today. I tell you what, it's just one of those days, man, where you wake up and you just feel like you didn't sleep at all. Mm. And you just need that extra shot of caffeine to keep you going into the afternoon, the evenings. All right, let's do this, shall we? All right, centering around the hospitality side of things. What are the best tips for getting a good hospitality experience in Napa? Uh, Of course, if you listened to the hospitality shenanigans episode that was a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, we talked about kind of the mess that the hospitality world can provide. And realistically, the best way to get a good experience, in my honest opinion, is to go to the smaller places. Go to the mom and pop shops and try to go to places that aren't going to be the cattle call kind of big open to the public wineries. If you want to hit those up, I mean, feel free. You still might have a good experience, but I'm going to be completely honest. More often than not, I have better experiences at the smaller mom and pop shops than I do at the big guys. Just kind of the way it shakes down. I hate to say it. That does help. Uh, Number two is probably just going in with a certain set of expectations. When you're making an appointment or if there's a concierge service or a travel agent or a transportation company of some sort making reservations for you, make sure you get some information from them regarding the experiences that you're getting into. Number one, is there a purchase requirement? Some wineries will ask or require purchases. Number two, ask if there's if there's a tasting fee. If so, how much and can that tasting fee be waived? Number three, 
ask what the experience entails. Is it a tour? Is it there a barrel sample option? Are you just sitting down and tasting wines? Uh, are you going through the vineyard? Kind of get a good idea of what that experience is going to be all about. Different wineries have different experiences. And sometimes, much like ourselves, we have different options because we can't do everything all at once. We'd be like a four-hour tour, and this isn't Gilligan's Island. So we got to try and condense it down to an hour and a half or two. But we always want to try and make sure that you're getting your money's worth. So if there are certain things that you're interested in, it's okay to ask if you can do those things, like walking through a cave, walking through the vineyard, uh, talking to the winemaking team. You can ask if maybe anyone's going to be there. Um, some of that stuff can, you know, kind of help guide your experience and whether or not you're going to enjoy it overall. I can't tell you how many times that people have come in or I've talked to people where they talk about other experiences. Luckily, I, I do think we have a pretty good, you know, for ourselves and, and programs that I've worked for that really dialed in some pretty great experiences. But you hear from other people that's like, oh, it just wasn't what we thought. Oh, it was a little sterile. Oh, the hosts seemed like they were having a bad day, whatever the case may be. You know, that that can be tough sometimes. But knowing what you're getting into before you get there always helps a little bit. Uh, number three, kind of in that same vein, is really, I don't know, kind of, and this requires doing a little bit of research, but do your research on the brand itself. You know, do they distribute all the wines? Are they a small production? Uh, what are they all about? What specific wines and what style of wines do they make? Because if you're a big, bold red wine lover, but you end up somewhere in Sonoma tasting a bunch of Pinot Noir, that might not be for you, right? You might want to try and figure out exactly what wines you're going to be tasting. Or is that tasting experience customizable? If they have a large swath of wines to choose from, can you pick just the big reds? Or do you have to do reds and whites? Or are you just doing white wines? That's the kind of stuff that you really should lean into. I, I This is from personal experience because the wines I make, for example, are typically more structure driven. They typically are very, very intense for a lot of people. They're not sweet at all because there's no sugar. Our wines are all sugar free. So when people are used to these big, juicy, jammy, kind of semi off sweet ish wines, there's a chance that they don't like our stuff. And those are the people that typically don't like our wines or people that are used to drinking sweeter wines. And I, I say, hey, you know, I wish I knew that when before you came out here because I probably would have told you to, I, I would say, hey, this might be kind of a waste of your time. <laughs> and I've told people that very honestly, you know, if I'm asking, you know, what their schedule is looking like and where else they're going and what wines they typically drink, I can say, hey, by the way, like our wines are very different than say the likes of a, Camus or a Silver Oak or even a Hall or a Mending Wall or um, trying to think. I mean, insert kind of big or uh, outposts like up on Howe Mountain, like these bigger, bolder, really rich wines. Very different than what I do. Very, very different. But if you like that big, bold, really rich wine thing, you know, we make some wines that lean that way, but they're just not quite that style. They're a little bit more old world, a little bit more rustic. So knowing what wines a producer is offering, even though you might not have been there before, that little bit of research can go a long way. And if someone is making that itinerary for you, it's worth letting them know, hey, we want to know what wines they have available. Can here's what we normally like to drink. Be a little bit proactive in that sense. I know that it's you know, for these first three, it's like, hey, you need to do a little bit of the work. 
but it's true. You know, we want to make sure out here that you have a great time. And any wine industry and any hospitality industry wants you to just come out and have an awesome time. But if you show up to a sushi restaurant and you don't like fish, you know, but you didn't do research on what that restaurant is, that's kind of a problem, right? The same thing is is very true of wineries. If there are certain styles of wine that you just don't like, make sure that the wineries you're going to don't make the, that style of wine. I always preface that. And my big caveat with that suggestion is don't be afraid to try new things when it comes to wine because you never know when you're going to find something that just blows your mind and is something completely new and different and exciting. So, you know, be willing to take a chance here and there. Don't paint yourself into a corner. You know, it'd be it's really nice to get out there, try some new things, and figure out if you can't find another avenue to go down. Uh, when you're actually there, and this is point number four, when you're actually there, just be a good human being. Don't pretend like you deserve anything for free. Don't beg for comp tastings or comp shipping. Uh, don't tell people how much money you, you spend and throw around. Don't brag about how much wine is in your cellar and what you love to drink. We don't care. We don't. We just want to hang out with good people. That's the end all and be all. Anyone who works in the hospitality industry, I'm going to speak for all of us, and that is a lot of people in this world. We like dealing with people to a certain extent. The second you get kind of douchey and braggadocious about things, we start to roll our eyes and go, all right, cool. I'm going to have to hear about how awesome everything about their life is. And frankly, they're here to talk to me. I don't want to just be bombarded with this nonsense information that I really don't care about. And it's not that we don't care about you as a customer, but this is going to sound kind of like a dick comment, but we deal with the rich and the famous all the time. The, the, like your, your buying power... And what you have in your cellar, the in stuff like that, it, it doesn't really matter to us. We don't care how many commas are in your bank account. We just don't. So it's just be cool and upfront and, and feel like we want you to feel at home. We want you to come in and just have a nice casual conversation. Don't feel as though you need to prove anything. Uh, just be yourself and hang out and be awesome. Don't feel like you need to keep it buttoned up. Don't feel like you need to roll your shoulders back and sit up straighter because you're in wine country and you're tasting wine and it's fancy, kick back, relax, have a good time. You're on vacation. Don't, don't try not to be too stressed and don't try and bombard the person that's hosting you with a lot of demands and things like that. That is a great way to have someone just, you might not have a bad time, but it'll be probably a shorter experience uh, and you're, you'll be fine, but you're just not probably not going to get the full pomp and circumstance because it's just... It's just one of those things. We have a pretty, and I've mentioned this in a few shows, and I might have mentioned it in the hospitality shenanigans thing, is that most small businesses, uh, whether it's in the wine industry or not, have a pretty strict no-asshole policy. And the second you start being a dick about stuff, you know, we just, we, we don't need your business. We do, and we want it, but eh, is it worth, you know, is that juice worth the squeeze kind of thing? So just be cool. Just one time, just once, just be cool. Luckily, I think if you're listening to this show, you probably are. Uh, typically, I, I and there are very few people that are that braggadocious, that awful, and just demand you to move mountains for them from a hospitality perspective. But every once in a while, it does happen. Don't be that person. Nobody likes that person. Just be cool. Just hang out and have a glass of wine, kick back and relax. That's, that's the way to be.
So those are probably my four top suggestions for getting a good hospitality experience is just relax. It's all good. Kick back. Do a little bit of research ahead of time that you know what you're getting into. Uh, kind of have an idea how much money you're going to be spending or what the purchasing expectations are or tasting fee expectations are. Those are kind of the big things. Uh, also, when it comes, I mean, this can be part of it is, you know, if you're shipping wine home, let people, it's easier to ship to like a place of business or somewhere that can sign for it on a regular basis. It is alcohol. When we do ship it, it has to be signed for by an adult that's 21 or over. So it helps you know, kind of put a nice bow on a great hospitality experience if the shipping and receiving goes really, really well on the back end of things. So that always helps. Um, we always try and manage expectations when it comes to shipping. But if you have any questions like that, you know, feel free to ask that way. You know, if it's the middle of the summer and it's 100 degrees outside and we don't ship your wine to you, you know why. And it's because we don't want the wine to spoil in transit. It's that simple. And if you didn't know that, that's a great question to ask. Hey, when can I expect to receive my wine? That's a great way to kind of close up a, a transaction and this hospitality experience that we talk about. Uh, those few things I would preach to no end. Find the small mom and pop shops. You know, don't don't demand the sun, the sky and the moon and the stars. Just kick back and relax and make sure you ask plenty of questions and just know what you're getting into when it comes to the experience, purchasing and shipping and all that good stuff. That's a lot of information to take in, but those are like the big things that cause issues from a hospitality perspective. I can guarantee that those few things make up the vast majority of what we would consider like hospitality snafus. So if we can tackle some of those ahead of time, boom, nothing to worry about. And you're going to have yourself a great time, plain and simple. All right, moving right along. Oh, I got to make some timestamps here. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Was it? There we go. So that way I can timestamp these and you guys can fast forward through this video as you see fit. So there we go. All right, if you are having a bad hospitality experience, what can you do to remedy it? Uh, all right. So this is where customer service comes into play because let's attack this from two, two sides. Number one, let's say you're at a winery and whoever's hosting you is just not doing a great job. You know, they're, you know, just maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they knocked over a glass of wine on you or spilled something on you. Um, maybe a, a glass, maybe they knocked a glass over like that. Maybe, I don't know, like name, name just some kind of issue. I'm trying to think of like other, like it's rare that we have these like on-site issues, but let's just say you're unhappy with how that experience progressed. I would implore you not to go on Yelp or TripAdvisor and just drag people through the mud because you know, if, if it's one of the bigger places, they probably have someone that's managing those accounts and responding. I can tell you that a lot of the small people don't simply because it's it's just one extra thing that they don't want to have to keep track of. It's kind of social media and, and online marketing still kind of like that in the wine industry. Many places just don't really dive headfirst into it. So going online and just venting is not necessarily going to do you any good. What you really need to do, and again, this takes a little bit of effort on your part, but is to get in contact with the winery directly either that day or after the fact and talk to that person's superior. 
and just give them a heads up, whether that's an email, whether that's a phone call, either way, that helps. You can even hit them up on like one of their social media accounts, like send them a direct a DM, a direct message, if you will. And hopefully you get a, a quick response. And you want to make sure that don't, and again, this kind of goes back to the first thing is like, don't be a dick about it. Like take the route of, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed because everyone knows that that shit works. And number two, if you start yelling and berating people, we've all seen that in, in any way, shape, or there have been times when what we've all been in line at like a Starbucks or something. Someone gets someone's order wrong and someone freaks out and you're like, it's just coffee. Like, relax, man. Like, you'll be fine. It's just coffee. You know, we've all seen that happen. We've seen like road rage incidents where it's like, what is going on? Like, yeah, they cut you off. Relax. Like, it's it's rush hour traffic. Shit happens. Chill. So don't fly off the handle. You know, because um, that they will do their best to do damage control. But if you're going to fly off the handle, it doesn't do anybody any good. I understand how fr- I mean, I've been this way. I've been frustrated at, you know, vendors and, and places of business where I've shopped and had a bad experience. But if you go into it with a full head of steam like that, it's going to be really tough to, you know, have a dialogue and really. I think improve upon things. It's much more better to take the, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed, and I wish that this would have been handled differently. And, you know, come up, and this is something that I have tried to teach everybody that I've managed, is that it's one thing to be problem-oriented and say, here are all the problems, do something about it. It's a different thing to be solution-oriented, right? So let's move on to, like, a purchasing issue. So let's say, you know... You wine gets shipped for some reason in the middle of the summer. It gets delivered to your front door and wine is leaking everywhere. The corks popped out. Your UPS guy just left it there. And you call the winery and tell them, hey, here's a photo of the bottles. You can see like one of them's broken. This cork popped out and it's a complete mess. What can we do? You know, can we get a replacement bottle? Can we get a refund on the shipping? What's the deal? That's the kind of stuff that you, you know, just quick, easy solutions. And and many of us in the industry were like, yes, of course. In fact, this happened, oh, it was a, it was actually a corked bottle of wine, which rarely happens these days. I think I've found like two this year and it happened to be the same person. I was so, oh, Adam, if you're out there, I promise you, I got those bottles set aside for you. I know he listens every once in a while. So it just so happens that, and this is the way it typically goes, sidebar for real quick. If you find one corked wine, there's a decent chance you'll find a second. It For some reason, they're magnetic in that way. I don't know why that is, but it seems like for whatever reason, corked wines travel in pairs, just the way it goes. So it, it, it's super rare, but it just happens. <clears throat> and, I, and Adam, I'm going to excuse me. I'm going to Adam use you as an example. You know, he sends me a quick note saying, hey, these bottles were off you know, just wanted to let you know, I go into that damage control mode and customer service mode and say, you know, what was the issue? Did they taste like stewy? Did they taste like cardboard or newspaper? Like I'm trying to kind of diagnose the problem to understand what had happened. And he says, oh no, it was definitely, I think, you know, this isn't quite verbatim, but it was like, oh no, it was definitely like musty, like wet carbon. I'm like, okay, that's a corked wine. Let's go ahead. I'm going to set aside a couple of bottles. As soon as the weather cools down and it's not warm anymore, we'll get a couple of new replacements out to you. Done. Taken care of. No issue. 
and I appreciate Adam, if you're listening, your understanding in the matter, because that's like you hate dealing with those customer service issues and what could potentially be a bad hospitality experience. But if your customer service is there to act as a backstop, that bad experience stops right there. And all of a sudden it gets remedied and you're good to go. And if you're super, super irrational about it, man, that sounds bad. Maybe you're not being irrational about it. I understand the frustration. I do. I've been there. I've been there. But if you're just, like I said, that full head of steam, just biting someone's head off because there's a problem that is not necessarily within their control and you're just venting, it's tough for us on the other side to find a solution that's adequate. And, you know, we're small businesses. We can't give you everything for free. We have to find a way. We're not going to haggle with you either, but we're going to do the best we can to try and remedy the problem. So... If you're having a bad hospitality experience, whether it was on site and it just wasn't a great time, it's best to follow up with the winery directly. That way you just have a better chance of it. I believe, and I truly believe this, if you follow up with them directly and take that time, there's a better chance that that's gonna, some, something's gonna change or be implemented and you're gonna have more of an effect. On the back end of things, like if it's after the fact with like a wine order and you've left the property but you know the order got messed up in some way shape or form kind of the same thing reach out you know state the problem maybe that you're disappointed in what's going on and you know if there are certain solutions that you would like to have happen please say so that way we can tell you hey yes that's something we can do or like hey that's not typically something we can do but here is what we can do to make you happy you know, it, it, it's, it is a relationship. And if you're having a bad time, you're going to have a bad time. That South Park episode just raced through my head. Oh, my God. Um, oh, the, the squirrel brain distractions are in full, like, force today. My apologies. But it's entertaining for me, tell you that much. So if you're having a bad time, you know, try and do your best to have a good time. I completely lost my train of thought. Oh gosh, my brain. This is why I'm having the second cup of coffee. I think I'm just a little bit delirious today. Uh, but yeah, I, it, we hate, we absolutely hate it when people have bad experiences and we want to do everything that we can to make sure you have a great one and a memorable one and something that you want to tell your friends and family about. That is our A number one goal every time you visit us uh, or any winery or restaurant or anything that involves hospitality it's super super important to us and if you didn't get the experience you expected or you had a bad time we want to know about it because we want to try and fix it and get better at what we do what we do is hospitality and if for some reason we let someone down it's very important to us i would say the majority of people to try and get better every single day. We all know those people that don't care about that. And that's a shame because you should never stop trying to grow and be better at what you do. But, you know, if a place is really like that, it's time to find new places to hang. You know what I mean? Bad, ex bad hospitality experiences are just rough. But letting the property know, whether it's the restaurant, the winery, whatever the case is, letting them know goes a long way so that they can try and implement something that will fix it. Because if, if you don't, if you do have a bad experience and you don't hear about it, what can you do to fix it? Nothing. This actually happened. Uh, this was early, very early this year. There was a gentleman who came in, um, bought a couple bottles of wine, 
we ended up charging him for tastings. Uh, actually, no, we actually we char- we charged him for some tastings. So it was a larger group, and they were just putting it all in one tab. But he and his wife had bought wine, so we waived their tastings. But we had there were like four other tasting people that were there. They didn't buy any wine, so we charged them tastings. But it was all on the same card. Uh, sent him the receipt. He followed up with a phone call just to go through it. We went through it. He said everything was good. And three weeks later, I got a call from the gentleman who put together the itinerary. And he was like, hey, they were super unhappy about the fact that you charge tastings. And this is way after that. And I say, I was like, well, should I read? Do you want me to reach back out? Can I do anything? I, I swear we went through it. They were all good about it, both the day of and after the fact. Like we did everything that we would normally do in terms of follow up. And he was like, no, it's it's fine. They're okay with it. But just so you're aware, like it was something that was we kind of had to massage over, you know, ourselves as as the tour company that put this together. And I felt ter- I still feel terrible about it. But, you know, if he had mentioned it, and I'm, I, I this is going to seem bad because it seems like I'm blaming him. But I kind of am because if I knew there was a problem, I would try and fix it. Or at least I would try to explain kind of here's the policy and here's what we do in this kind of situation. And if he still wasn't happy, we would do our best to amend it. Given that I didn't know anything about that and I didn't know there was a problem to be fixed, I couldn't fix it. So that's that's where it is that relationship kind of thing. Like it is, there is a give and a take and a back and forth that has to occur when it comes to these experiences. And if we don't know there's a problem, you can't expect us to fi- fix it. So it's super, super important. I know it's not comfortable. I, I have a hard time doing this as well. There are plenty of occasions where I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. But if you're truly upset about what's going on and you feel wronged in some way, it's worth reaching out to try and get it remedied. I'll just leave it at that. That's really the best way to go about trying to remedy a bad hospitality experience in some way, shape or form is dive in and try and get them to enact customer service to make right and do right by you after the fact. That's the best way to go about it. All right. Moving into the harvest stuff. Ooh, let me make sure I timestamp that. There we go. All right. What do winemakers look forward to when harvest comes around? It's going to be here in like two weeks, maybe a week. Maybe a week, maybe two weeks. It's really close. It's really, really close. Um, I'm going to put it this way for myself. And I think a lot of us kind of feel this way is that I consider harvest like my new year. This is like New Year's Eve for me. It's a fresh start. You have the season that's been building for months. You finally get to do what you do best. And it's like the new year. And your resolution is just to make kick-ass wine. It's, that's it. That's what we look forward to, is just a new opportunity to improve what we've done, kind of vintage in, vintage out, for however many years we've been doing this. Um, it's the same way I felt you know, in the second or third year of making wine. And even now going into my 14th season, it's it's something that is very pervasive within, I think, the winemaking scene is that we're just excited to do the work. We're people that love getting our hands dirty. Uh, there's a lot of dirt under our fingernails. There's a lot of sleepless nights. There's a lot of stress and anxiety, but we eat it up because it is just so much fun to create the thing that we create, and that's wine. So it's it's just our New Year's. It's just 
it's like a three month long party and we're exhausted and beat the shit by the end of it. But damn it, it was a good time. So that's, I think that's what us winemakers look forward to, to be completely honest. It's just, it's a fresh start and we get to do what we love and that's make wine. The rest of the season as the wine is aging, it's more of like a babysitting job. You're making wine, but it's not as hand, and it's still hands-on, but it's not as much work. It's not as crazy. It's just, it's, harvest is just different. It's just a different thing. And it's always so exciting. Right now, I mean, people right now that were like that couple of weeks out, oh, if you can feel it, like the, the, the tension in the air, like the party's about to start. It's, it's pretty, it's a pretty cool vibe in the valley in late August into September. It's a really, really good time. Really, really good time. All right. That was a, that was a pretty quick and easy one, but I, it's, that's, I mean, luckily it's a pretty quick and easy answer there. Uh, okay. There's the timestamp. Perfect. I'm learning to do stuff like as I go, because otherwise, if I don't do these timestamps as I go, I end up having to listen to the podcast back and there's nothing like listening to yourself talk. Ugh. I, I mean, I do like, especially if I might mess up somewhere or if I have to do like a cut, I like try and make a, a note of where I am time wise. But for these Q and A's, I've had to do it regularly because I just forget where the questions are. So I have to like go back and listen to it and try and you know, scan through it. And it's just not the easiest thing to do in the world. Plus I hate listening to myself. Ugh. thank goodness that you people enjoy what I have to say because it's so weird listening back to yourself like this. I, I it's weird. I, I don't understand how people that do like movies or TV shows, like if they ever like watch the cuts and like have to watch themselves. We actually have a friend of ours that's been in a couple roles on the big screen and it's, I don't know how she does it. I mean, I can like the way she pays attention to a movie is very different than I think how everyone else in our friend group does, but it's, it's just interesting. Interesting. It's weird. It's weird. I don't like it. This is why we're doing timestamps now (laughs) on the fly. That way I don't have to worry about it. All right. What is the most challenging thing about harvest? Um, shoot. I don't, I don't know if there's like one thing that. It's like a huge problem. I think the like the default would be like mother nature, like not knowing what to expect, right? Like you could have a big heat spike, you could have a fire, you could have rain, you could, I mean, but that's not even, that's, I, I you know, don't even, it's, it could be difficult. I mean, I don't know. That's, that can make a harvest more challenging, but I don't know if that's like the most challenging thing. I think quite honestly, I think it's just the, the level of exhaustion that you hit. It's kind of like harvest is a lot like going back to the gym after not going for years and years. That first couple of weeks, that first few weeks, two, three weeks is just awful. As excited as you are for harvest, you get to week two and you're sore. You're not sleeping as much. You're not eating as well. Like you're just, it's really tough to take care of yourself. And at a certain point, you start asking to why do I do this for a living? It happens to me every year in the second or third week of harvest. I'm like, why do I keep doing this to myself? And you know why it's because you love it, but you have that brief moment of like hesitation or trepidation about it. And you're like, this is why, why do we do this? And that's probably the most challenging thing is just getting through that like layer of exhaustion and getting into your stride. Once you get into harvest and you're like a month in, you're just crushing it. You're just working. 
no pun intended, ah, to hell with it, pun intended, we do crush it. You know what? We do crush it. Grapes, everything. And once you get through that, and once you, you know, stick to that workout, like schedule or going back to the gym, like the soreness doesn't last as long. You can move and you're a little bit more flexible and whatnot. Like you can really kind of keep things moving a little bit better, but you have to get through those really crappy few weeks before you get there. And harvest is a lot like that. The most challenging thing about harvest is those first couple of weeks. Once you get through that, the rest is gravy. You're going to have your good days and your bad days. There will be curveballs thrown at you. But once you get through that, you feel pretty good about it. That, that's probably the most challenging thing about Harvest is just working your way and navigating through those first few weeks because you're just going to be exhausted. You're not going to be in shape for it. And it's going to just take some time to get there. All said and done, it'll just take some time. All right. It looks like we got time for one more. Let's do one more, shall we? Ooh, I like this one too. This is a good question because I don't know if it's going to be the answer that you all would expect. And this is, what are the toughest wines to make? You know, white wine and rosé. Rosé specifically, but white wine and rosé, those for me are the ones that give me the most amount of stress. They just are. Your red wines, they're just, they're heartier. They, you have more time to work with them from, I mean, cause you're talking a year, two, three years before they get bottled in some situations. There's a lot to do in between all, with all that time. And if something starts to go a little awry, you have time to fix it. If you're making a white wine or rosé that's getting picked in September and bottled in February, you've got five months to knock that out. And it's got to be done and dusted. Like it's it's a tighter timeline. I think there's a lot more that realistically there's a lot more I think that can go wine and cut go go wine. See squirrel brain just boom, gone fell off the wheel. There's a lot more that can go wrong with making white wine and rosé. They can be a lot more finicky. I think they're a lot more delicate, and you really have to nail it. Because if you have a white wine that's a little off, whether it's the wrong color or there's sediment in it or there's a protein instability and it's kind of cloudy, I've made one of those before, it's not the most fun to try and sell, um, it's rough. If you have a rosé that's too dark or not acidic enough and it just it's flabby, it's no good. Uh, if you put too much, if it oxidizes too much and the color darkens up or browns, it's not great. There's just, there's just so much that can go. And a lot of that stuff is just preventative medicine. Like you can, as long as you stay on top of it, you can do it. Like it's really not that big of a deal. Um, but they are still, they cause the most stress for me personally. And I, I actually don't know. I've not talked to anybody else about this. This is a question that me and my colleagues have never explored. But I'd be curious to hear what other people think. I, like white wines and rosé in general for me, definitely the toughest wines to make. Pick your variety, doesn't matter. They're they're just going to be the tough ones to make. Your big reds, you know, probably you can work with those a little more. The only exception is Pinot Noir because Pinot Noir as a red wine grape is the worst. It's it's the if there is a variety that's more challenging, I would be surprised. 
But even then, with Pinot Noir, because you're going to be aging it longer, and it is hardier than even those white wines and rosés, it's still, I don't know, it has its own challenges and kind of a mind of its own, but it does not cause me the same amount of stress that white wine and rosé does. I always talk about how much of a pain in the ass Pinot is to make, but as much of a pain as it is, it's more of just a challenge and you have to just rise to meet that challenge. It's kind of exciting and fun and you kind of get to push these boundaries of what you know and what you do as a winemaker when it comes to Pinot Noir, where your white wines and rosés are just, they're very cut dry. You're either nailing it or you're not. And you're either having to pick up the pieces of what you're doing or you got it down and you're making it work and it's doing the job it's supposed to do. Um, yeah, toughest wines to make for me, gotta be your white wines and rosés for sure. And then Pinot Noir is right there with it. Uh, Pinot Noir is an absolute pain in the ass. Oh. Oh, it's the worst. All right. I do not have a wine of the week this week. Uh, I apologize. I've not been uh, consuming a lot of vino over the last couple of weeks from bottling and from just my back issues and the meds I've been on. I've been staying pretty dry, hence the copious amounts of coffee and water that I have sitting next to me. So no wine of the week this week. My apologies. Uh, if you're still looking to snag some kind of interesting wines uh, after last week's episode, be sure to check out Phillips Hill. Uh, we've had Flora Springs featured previously. We've had some Cliff Family featured previously. Uh, there are going to be a lot more wines that we dive into as we get into the fall. Um, I'll try and make sure that I stay nice and healthy so that I can consume for you guys to let you know what's tasting really good out there. We'll make sure to do that. So uh, next week... It's September already, y'all. Oh, this year's gone by so fast. Uh, we are going to be diving into a retrospective next week. Uh, we're going to be talking about the 2013 vintage. Uh, a very good friend of mine who's going through the Stanford MBA program posed this question for an article that's being written regarding the 2013 vintage and kind of where it's at. And I figured with this new harvest just about to kick off, in fact, by the time that episode comes out, it may have started. So it'll be a good time to look back 10 years and talk about a specific vintage, what went on, what was great about it, what was challenging about it, and where those wines are. And we'll try and find a nice 2013 wine of the week. So for those of you that have any 13s laying about, they're worth popping open. They're tasting really, really good. That'll be a little teaser for what we get into uh, in, a, in uh, next week. So as always, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, remember to submit your questions. Uh, continue. Uh, we're, we just keep collecting them. And I have just an ongoing list. Like I have this ridiculous Google Doc that's basically just crossing things off the list uh, so that we don't, tr I'll try not to duplicate too many questions. Uh, we'll see how, if, if one question kind of keeps coming up over and over, we'll revisit it for sure in case you missed it in a prior episode. Uh, but keep submitting your questions. Please keep liking and subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. Uh, it's really helping us out with the algorithm and getting it out and about. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been lovely. Have an amazing rest of the week, and we will see you next time for that 2013 retrospective. Cheers.